we are in the book of Ecclesiastes looking for who we are, why we are, what's the whole point of this exercise? And that's a question which has absorbed and controlled our minds and thoughts for the longest time through, through many, many centuries, millennia even. Why are we here? What's the point of being here? And that's what Ecclesiastes hits all the way. That's really interesting. Every time they find a way to do this to him. There you go. It's all, it's all paranoia, but in my case, it's true. Um, perhaps that's why there are some works of literature that have remained well beyond their sell-by date when we would have expected them to be put aside for something else. One of the most famous uh, soliloquies or little talks on the idea of why are we even here comes from Shakespeare's classic play, Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 5, when he speaks of the futility of life. He says, tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow creeps in this petty place from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools away to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. I don't think Macbeth got invited to many parties. <laughs> but there's a reason you still at least know the name Macbeth and the name Shakespeare. He became famous for a reason, uh, Shakespeare did. He, um, he touched on universal life experiences. If you read his plays, people fall in love with the wrong people. People get confused and misunderstood, and that snowballs into feuds and fights between families. Other families have been feuding for so long that they have no idea why, but they feel necessary to keep up the fight. There's intrigue and that infects life and power and business and faulty men and women trying to find their place in the world. Some of his plays don't age well. Some of them, like Taming of the Shrew, are just awful, horrific way of looking at women. But most of his plays aged because, for the same reason Ecclesiastes is still a book, people want to know what does all of this mean. You, you don't, didn't ask for that. You were born into this. You didn't get to vote on it. You didn't get to check mark what country, what place, what intellect you might have, the body shape you might have. None of that. You were put into something that's an ongoing concern. It was already happening. And then you look about and realize that one day it'll keep going when you don't. And so we ask, what's our point? When we left the teacher, and by the way, we call him the teacher, Kohelet. Uh, it's, that's what he calls himself in the book, if we translate his title properly. It used to be called the preacher, but we, we now know it just means teacher, and that's enough for now. But when we left him last week, he'd walked us through some of the ways he tried to find meaning in his life. And he had the means to do it. So, he tried pleasure, laughter, wine, folly. Then after that, personal possessions, collection, wealth, um, even construction projects where he could say, look what I've built, look what I've done. But he was left empty by it all, and he feared that his life and all life might be meaningless. 
but he's not going to give up quite yet. He wants to move on now to wisdom and knowledge. And we're going to talk about how to split some of these things even further in a bit. But for now, right now, remember, knowledge consists of the facts you have to hand. Wisdom is how you use it. I have a tool set in my garage. I know how to use some of them. I possess more than I know how to use. Does that help to anybody? I have golf clubs. Maybe this will be more interesting. <laughs> some of them I know how to use on occasion. Others are plainly poorly made. <laughs> so knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is what you're able to do with those things that you know. You're able to manage and find solutions using the tools that you have to hand. I think uh, a brilliant living uh, example of this would be Cuba. I've never been to Cuba. I would actually very much like to go, but I've watched so many documentaries and programs on it. They are still running cars down there that were made in America in the 50s. The, uh, the British uh, TV show Top Gear sent their presenters there, and it was just a fascinating study on how they had to take what they had to make parts because this is all they have. So they had to take what they had and use it intelligently. And in fact, most of the cars now are, are many cars in one because they had to use an engine from here and wheels from that. And so a guy's driving down the street and that's five of the best cars he's ever owned right there. But that's wisdom and intelligence put together. But the teacher's going to try. He's going to try to put them together as well. Let's take a look at chapter 2, 12 through 16. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. Okay? What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads. That's a great phrase, by the way. Use that with your kids. Well, the fool walks in the darkness, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for, for the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Now again, you might be thinking, that's no peppier than Macbeth, and you're exactly right, and that's really the point of it. The teacher has come to a, a conclusion that there's nothing else to do. It's all been done. It's all been invented. What more can a king's successor, he says, do than what has already been done? When this book was written, technology was at its peak for the, the age, but the technology that they had, and which they mastered, quite frankly, was things such as brute force applied with pulleys and inclined planes, powered by slaves, aided perhaps by running water that moves a wheel. In that world, there was nothing else to apply. And yet, look what they did with it. They were wise with what they had. But another problem there was, he talks about the fool and the wise, and he doesn't talk about the fool becoming wise, or somebody becoming a king. 
because in his world that was impossible. You were born into your class. You were a prisoner of your birth. Now, while that may sound very, very strange to you, I bet you can immediately understand what I mean when I say this. What if you had been born in South Sudan? What would you have done with your life? What could you have done with your life? By birth, you were locked into a situation, not of your own making, that you have no control over it, into class and tribal um, clannish battles that have been going on before you were born and will continue to go on after you die. You are a prisoner of birth. Now think of that as not just geography, but also we could talk about race, we could talk about economic situations, we can talk about um, educational places where you were. Um, my, one of my grandsons was playing basketball and took an elbow and a tooth came out and um, he was able to see a dentist within a half hour. And I, I'm just standing there stunned in the parking lot thinking, if this was Scotland, he'd be on the list for the next six to eight months and then maybe get in. This is, and I kept saying to God, what kind of place is this that you're letting me live here? But see, that wasn't me. That's where we are. What do we do with what we've got? You have been given already a jump start. All of us here were really born on third base and think we hit a triple. No, it was given to you at birth. You were placed in a situation at birth that has allowed you to move. They didn't have that. And so he can't say, well, the fool can learn and pull him. He had no idea such a thing was even possible. And I've spoken to, I don't know how many people that they'll mention, well, they're from there. It's almost like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They, no, or that, they're from that family. Well, you don't need to worry about it. There'll never be anything. People still talk like this. Many people in our world feel trapped like this today because they are. And until we untrap them by the way we live our lives, do not ask government to do it, they'll mess it up. The way you live your life, then they're going to stay trapped. The good news is, however, generally speaking, the world over, the world is becoming freer, and freedom begets great leaps in discovery. But I do want to, I want to add a third thing here that we need to, to be careful about. There are a lot of memes that hit Twitter and Facebook and the like. Please remember, these have not been vetted and checked. And one which has taken off in the last few days shows a map of the United States showing that the most educated states are in blue here. And these are the states that vote for our, our guy. And look, they're the same states. Now, you, if you are not wise, <laughs> and you look at something like that, even if it was true, you have to back up and say, wait, there's wisdom and there's intelligence and then there's education. Education, if I go to a school, I have an agreement with them. I will stay here and agree with you and not cause issues. I will pay you a lot of money. At the end of it, you will print a piece of paper and give it to me. It doesn't mean I'm educated. It means I survived. Now, I've, I've got a couple of PhDs. I'm not opposed to degrees. But I will tell you that in many, many, many aspects of life, 
I'm the most stupid person you will ever meet. I'm educated, but only in that little bit of a pie. So be very, very careful when somebody goes, for example, people will say, why do most really highly educated people, they're unlikely to be Christian. Well, yeah, but what were they taught to get that paper? That's a bit, I, I know a person, I, I can't call them friend, I've not been around them for about 20 years, but in Britain who did their PhD on astrology. They got a doctorate in something which doesn't exist. Okay. Best of luck with this. Educated, yes. Wise, no. Intelligent, they don't really have much tools. The stars aren't going to help them out. And by the way, if you think they are, I've learned this here. Bless your heart. Um, <laughs> intelligence and wisdom must also be linked with one other thing. Vision. Not education. Education is fantastic, but it won't get you there without vision. Take a look at these quotes. Thomas Watson, president of IBM. I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. How about this from Daryl Zanuck, head of 20th Century Fox? Television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures for more than the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Wait a minute. stupid cat. Anyway, um, <laughs> how about this one from Ken Olson, founder of Digital Equipment. These aren't idiots. There's no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. I, I, I thought I might actually get an amen from some of the people in the room, but um, how your, your house is a computer now, people. You know, the Borg has absorbed us. How about Robert Metcalf, inventor of the Ethernet, founder of 3Com. And this is only 1995. Almost all of the many predictions now being made about 1996 hinge on the Internet's continuing exponential growth. But I predict the Internet will go, soon go spectacularly supernova and in 1996 catastrophically collapse. I found that on the Internet. William Stewart, who actually did a great job in his post as Surgeon General of the United States in 1969, said, we can close the book on infectious diseases. They will no longer plague humanity. Dr. Stewart, I'd like for you to meet my friend coronavirus. Uh, uh, actually, I wouldn't. That would be cruel. Uh, Simon Newcomb, this one's 1888. I just went back for him. We are probably limit, nearing the limit of all we can know about astronomy. And one of my favorites, Albert Einstein, never met a hair product in his life. <laughs> there is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. Within 13 years, he'd help us devise a packet of nuclear energy, obtain it, and drop it on a city. We are not good at this. Please, your teachers will tell you about your future. Your parents will tell you about your future. You'll even try to do your future. But we're not the ones telling the story. God is telling the story. Now that's good news. Because he's going to tell a better story than you've got. By far. There's no way you can beat it. Our vision is limited by our genes. And by the eyes that we have. There are animals like many birds that can see colors coming off of things that indicate mood. 
so they know which animal is more dangerous than the other. We don't have that. Why? Because we don't have those eyes. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means the receptacles in our eyes, receptors rather, were not designed to receive that. You, you know about dogs hearing and dogs smelling being much better, sense of smell, than, than ours. God designed us to see and hear what we need to see and hear to play a part in his story. Keep the vision, though, that God is telling the story. We could do those quotes all day. The teacher in this passage reminds me whenever he says, What's our son, what are our sons and daughters to do? We've done everything. There's nothing left for them to do. Reminds me of Alexander the Great. His father, Philip, was a great general. And Alexander, at the age of 19, wept because by the, he, he feared by the time his dad died, there'd be no more lands to conquer. We look at that now and we go, huh, well, what are they going to look back at on us and go, huh? I, I still think they'll look back at us one day and say, can you believe what they put people with cancer through? But, but you know, almost like leeches and, you know, killing a duck in a backyard is just as effective. You know, but they're going to look down on us just like we look down on them. I think instead we should all step back and have a sense of humility about our day. We don't know the story. We're just in the story. History is richer and far more complicated than any of us can ever imagine. And the future is beyond our imagination. Predictions rarely work out. So what should we do? Just give up? No, we should study. Chapter 2, verse 13, remember he says wisdom is better than folly. And he had tried the folly, if you remember, with the wine and the laughter and the bizarre behavior. No, knowing stuff and learning how to use it is good. In fact, it's what we're made for. You remember I said a couple of weeks ago, we're born explorers. I wonder if that is food. You put it in your mouth. They'll stick things in her ears and her nose. They will, they will, you know, rub applesauce through the hair. Why? We're learning applesauce. We're studying, we are explorers. And so for the first several years of their lives, we run around after them going, no, no, put that down, get that out of your mouth. Don't put your fingers there. But we don't stop them from being explorers, do we? They will find another thing to think or to go you can't run faster than a four-minute mile, so they do. If you're an ice skater, you can't do more than three spins. Oh, watch. We are explorers. We like to push. We like to learn. We like to grow. And our brain is designed for that, by the way. I just, an aside, learn stuff. Learn new stuff. Read things you don't agree with. Go Go listen to something you would never have listened to before. Learning an instrument, for example, is the same benefit to your brain as learning a brand new language and culture. It creates new pathways. Learning how to do stuff does that as well. Learn. We are born explorers. Knowing stuff's good, but he said, I know knowing stuff's good, but the end result is still the same. We're not going to be around at the end. The rest of humankind will go on. The open question is, will we advance the story or not? I had someone come up to me this week and say, I'm really loving these lessons on Ecclesiastes, but they're really downers. You know, you could look at it that way. You could. And, and I completely understand it if you do. 
But to me, understanding where we are in life, why we are in life, and what our end result is, actually gives some spice to life. It, it, it matters. You know, my son, six foot five, size 15 feet, he doesn't sit in my lap anymore. That's an offense. That's a class D felony. That would be grievous bodily harm. So all those times when he was a wee boy sitting on my lap, that was precious. Why? Limited. It's limited. That's why it's precious. And so as you have this small window in life, we jump on it. By the way, he's getting his own back. They've got a, a, a son, two years old, looks six. I'm just, he's so far confined to Michigan, so you're safe. Talked to Duncan a couple days ago, and he said, it took me five minutes to fight him to get a jacket on him. He said, within a couple of years, I'm just going to tap out. And he called me and I said, if you're looking for sympathy, you got the wrong number. <laughs> we, uh, we know it's only for a time. Fame. Fame is fleeting. The most popular and famous among us will quickly fade because fame is not why we're here. That's the point. I'm not, I don't want to do spoiler alert, but the reason that just being really smart... That's not why we're here. That's, that's not going to give you your meaning. What about having stuff? It's not going to give you meaning because that's not why you're here. We need a new measuring stick, something that measures our value, and it's, it can't be the ones we've been using. It's like trying to weigh a cat by describing its color. We're using the wrong tools. We're using the wrong measurements. I work with law enforcement officers a lot, and they often bemoan the fact, and, they, and when I say bemoan, that I'm not saying that they're complainers and whiners. It's, it's, a, it's a true frustration. They bemoan the fact that they've arrested this guy 10 times already, and that he gets out every single time, sometimes before they're done with the paperwork. I say, so what's the point? And I'll say, the point is, you're still there to arrest him the 11th time. You're still there. You're a check on his behavior. You didn't stop it, but you're not God. You don't get to tell this story. You just play a part in the story. Your part is to catch the bad guy. Go catch the bad guy. You'll say, but what does it mean if he gets out again? No, no. Let him do his job. You do yours. Let the lawyers do their job. You do yours. It is shocking to me how many ministers quit. And if you don't know, it's over three quarters of them quit within seven years. And then those that remain are often terrified of what's coming next. I, I got an email from someone recently because people who are getting beat up by churches will, will get in touch with me. He's carrying $60,000 in debt with a master of divinity and is about to get kicked out of his church. What do you do with the master of divinity? Not, they don't really like that at the nuclear plant. You know, you've got to find something else to do. And it's, it's heartbreaking for these people. And they'll say, but, but I tried to, I'll try to get the church to do this, and they won't, and I'll try to get this. And I tell them about a friend of mine, and I, I would love to tell you his name. I really would. I want to give him honor. I would love to tell you the state in which he lives, but you'll understand why I can't. He is a man of great education and, and love, and he knows how to do this, and he's at a church which is way backward. And I asked him, I said, you've been here 20 plus years. 
doesn't it grate on you every day? And he's a better man than I because he responded this way. He said, I love these people. And if I spend my entire life not getting them over here, but just here, then my life is worthwhile. Boom. Ecclesiastes. Find joy and meaning in what you do, in the everyday events of what you do. So look at the teacher's point here. He, he talks about it a lot. Chapter 2, 17 through 23. So I hated life. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because the work that is done, well, a lot of us do in the morning, let's be honest. Uh, oh boy, here we go again. Uh, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. See, that's the, he looked upon his work as a bad thing. All of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I'd toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Uh, royal family. Uh, yet, they will have no control over all the fruit of my toil. They will have control rather, over all the fruit of my toil, which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. In other words, he's saying, what if my kids are dumb? We've all been there. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving? I love that phrase, anxious striving, with which they labor under the sun. All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Did you um, spot a recurring theme and the problem? The recurring theme is this. Every generation thinks that the following generation are idiots. They always do. My, my father was convinced I was an idiot. He was sometimes right. Uh, his father thought he was an idiot. And we don't do that mainly with our kids. We're talking about the generation. You know, I think my son's brilliant. I think my daughter's brilliant. But their generation, oh, no. Have you ever noticed something? I've been here six years. You've never heard me criticize the teenagers or the millennials or the boomers or the extra. Why? Because it's silly. That's what people have always done. We did it better than you'll ever do it. And it, then when they do it better, we say we were happier with the little stuff we had. You with your fancy iPhones, all right, you invented something there. But we had a stick and a rock and we're happy. <laughs> and you seem happy there, granddad, I'll give you that. It's so silly. Why don't you enjoy the work you've got, the day you've got, the life you've got? I wish we were all a three-year-old in the back seat of a car on a long drive because they will go, car, cow. Every time. And sometimes parents will go, I wish. You know, there are a lot of, it's Kansas. There are going to be cattle out there. No, I want us to go through life excited at everything we see, taste, experience, learn. Taking my, my son out when he was a wee lad, about seven or so, to teach him golfing because I wanted him to learn that life includes pain. <laughs> and he hit a ball deep into an old untended bunker and I said you can just pull it out of there and he looked at me and he goes no this is part of the fun and I went oh who now the teacher has become the student 
you know, I had, I, had to, I had to learn, enjoy where you are, what you are with what's going on. And it's true, the idea of royalty has never worked for long. It just doesn't. Somebody is going to take control of what we have. All this money you put into making the building usable for the next generations, and then they're going to come and use it. Well, of course they are. What are they going to do in it? I told my kids a long time ago, I said, your church will look different than my church, and that's okay. As long as it's looking at Jesus, it's okay. Don't let anybody of my generation tell you it isn't. It's okay. And that's, we've got to be comfortable with this, or we're going to end up being stuck in Ecclesiastes 2, and you do not want to live in Ecclesiastes 2. That's like Macbeth, Act 5. But it's a real question. Who is going to take the future? Well, your children and their children will be there, but the storyteller has not quit telling the story. It's God's story. The, the question is, will you play your part? Will you show up and play your part, acting in a way that would make Jesus happy? That's the only live question on the table. We're all, we are all going to live. We're all going to die. Easy statistic to remember. One out of one dies. So, what do you do in the dash? You know, there's a date where you're born, then there's a dash and a date when you die. The dash is all you've got. So what are you going to do? What about live and love like Jesus and enjoy whatever comes down the road the best you can? I think, you, I, I think we can pull it off. Is some of life full of pain and completely unenjoyable? Absolutely. But we're blessed more than cursed, are we not? I sometimes get angry with God over one or two prayers he hasn't answered, forgetting that all those times I asked that my kids got home safely, they did. And all the times I asked them to get over this, that, or that, they did. Let's focus on the right thing. Maybe our eyes are in the wrong place. Hebrews 12. Um, Mark, you can go ahead and bring your group up. Hebrews 12 and verse uh, 2. I didn't ask for that to be put up. Calls Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. I sometimes think you need to write Hebrews 12, 2 over every chapter in Ecclesiastes. Because we're not telling the story and our eyes can't see the story. They weren't designed to see the story. He tells the story. We walk in faith. Would you stand please? The teacher rests his thoughts here. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. We have a new element. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. God is in charge to what happens to our work, our stuff, and our name after we are gone and he is telling this story the only open question is do you trust him